Amen, amen. How are you today? Awesome. Good morning. It's great to be back. I don't know if you're new here. Uh, I've been gone for a couple weeks, and many of you are excited about that, which is good. But I am back, and I'm super excited to be back. And it's just a really awesome time to be away with our family. And uh, we really missed you. And uh, it's amazing how many uh, of you that we really enjoy. I said many of you, not all of you, but many of you we really enjoy. Uh, and one of the things I want to plug as we were gone is I was in Costa Rica with my family, and we got the live stream. If you're gone this summer and you will still want to plug in and listen to Randy last week or Jeremy the week before, I was in Costa Rica, and even with bad Wi-Fi, we got to see most of it. It froze a couple times doing this, but it was pretty good. And so if you get a chance, look at the Wi-Fi online. It's pretty cool. You get pretty much the essence of what Journey is. It's not as the same as being here. But we were excited. We went on vacation, and then we went on a missions trip. Here's a picture of me and my family on the Playa uh, Hermosa. Right out front is this awesome beach that's just really cool, and we're having ceviche and non-alcoholic drinks because my kids are underage. So uh, those aren't uh, grilled uh, drinks. But this was a really cool moment just sitting back, one of our favorite dinners here on Playa Hermosa, and it was really cool. The second picture is the second part of what we did. We came back for two days, and this is the 4th of July. Now listen, when you go anywhere in the world and you have three daughters, it's hard because everybody wants to marry your daughters. So <laughs> as they get older, these two kids on the end were trying to court my daughter. Actually, one of my daughters, I think, fell in love, and she said, do you understand love at first sight? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, I'm, make, I'm having that right now. And uh, she's 12, so we'll figure that out. <laughs> she's moving down and getting married pretty soon, so hopefully you're all invited to come. And uh, both of these guys there are trying to be a part of my family, and we're not letting them happen, so... Anyways, I want to plug a couple of things before we get started today. We're going to continue on the Sermon on the Mount, but a couple of things that are coming up that I think is very important. Number one is we're getting ready to go back to Israel, and we're getting ready to go next year, but now is the time to really think about it, and if you haven't gone before and you're interested at all, come and see me. The deposits are due. We still have time to, to work it out, but Israel is a really powerful time. It's called the Christian Pilgrimage. It's not a mission strip, but if you go, I promise you, you'll have an impact like you've never experienced before, because you're going to walk where Jesus walked, you're going to feel the love of God, we're going to get dunked, these two got baptized in the name of Jesus, and it was really cool, and so if you are interested, come and see me, I'd love to give you some information, um, and talk about 2018 in February, where we'll go and spend Valentine's Day, uh, should be really fun. The second thing is this, me and my family just came back from Mexico, and I want to plug the Mexico trip, Journey has, has been going down for many years. We've taken the trip over as our own. And if you've never been on a missions trip, this is a great time to go. It's one of those opening opportunities for you to go on mission. And this last week, we had such an impact in our, in our family and in our, and the people that went down. It was profound. We truly saw God. And it's a time for you to get outside of yourself and, and, and put into action your faith. And if that's you today and you're not really doing something, I challenge you to go. We've had people with young kids go, and we've only lost three, which is good. The parents are still here, and they're thankful. So it's a safe trip. It's, uh, it's a great trip. And if you've never gone, it's a good starter trip. And this last week, we really saw God. And 
for me and my family, we really had some powerful healing as we were going through it. So hopefully you'll make that part of your life. Today, we continue on the Sermon on the Mount. This summer, what we're trying to do is speak to you as Jesus taught. We're trying to open up a place in Matthew where Jesus taught. And Matthew is writing to the Jewish people that are believers and saying, if you want to be today what we call Christians, back then they were called the way, if you wanted to follow the way of the Lord, that you would have to look at the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount to see if you have the attributes and characteristics to follow Jesus. Now, the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes is an actual place. There's a church on the top. If you look at this picture, this is that actual picture from Jerusalem, uh, or actually uh, Galilee in the northern part. And above this is, uh, is Syria. And so this is a really great part, but we're very close to war and, uh, and, and Jordan also. But Jesus sat here, and he looked out to a bunch of disciples, and he started to teach about what God has for us as Christians. So if you are able to stand, please stand now. If you can't stand, just open up your hearts and get ready for the word of God. Think that you're in this hill and you're listening to Jesus speak directly to your heart today because that's what he wants to do. He wants to work on our hearts today. So let's just read, and I'm going to read the memory verse, and then I'm going to um, just jump right in it. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said this. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Today our message will be, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's see God today together. Do you want to? Let's just power heads and pray that our, our, our lives will be impacted, that we will have a salvation experience or a sanctifying experience with God, that we will hear from him and we will have a revelation, a direct word from his heart, and that we will continue on in our transformational time. So, Father, we come in your name, the name above all names, and we ask for you to glorify this moment. Open up our hearts so that we can hear from you, that we can see you, and that we can work, a, work out of our struggles and troubles that are deep within us. Transform us, reveal your heart so that our heart can be healed. Let our sanctification and salvation experience grow in you. Father, we love you and we believe that your name is above every name on earth. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. Thank you for your son. Holy Spirit, move now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now, today we're going to work on the heart a little bit. So, uh, Lowell, you good? All right, making sure, because we're going to do a little bit of heart work. Lowell, my buddy here's uh, had a couple of stints put in, and so hopefully the Father's going to heal his heart. But here's what we're going to do. On your little green sheet in there, there's a heart. Now, there's one side of the thing that I want you to work through, and one side is where you're at with things in your life, where you're at with your relationships. Maybe you're married or you had a boyfriend or girlfriend or you're 12 years old and you need to let go of the love of first sight. Where are you at? Where are you at with money? 
Where are you at with money in the church? Where are you at with Jesus being your Lord and Savior? Where are you at with your own attitude towards this world? Where's your heart on something? And write it down during the sermon. And then as you write it down, ask God, what do you want from my heart? You know, one of the big things that people struggle with this church is why do you do an offering? Because the kingdom of God needs to be moved. That's why we do an offering. It's an opportunity for you to worship. Where's your heart with that? Why do you read every day? Because that's what the kingdom of God wants. Not because it's a requirement, but it helps us grow. Why do you pray? Where's your heart on certain issues? And then ask God, reveal what you want for me to do on this situation. So today, we're going to do some work as we go through it. And hopefully by the end, it'll be like a Christian retreat that we leave here kind of going, man, I've made some changes in a matter of 45 minutes or an hour. So today we're going to talk about blessed are those who are pure in heart for they will see God. The first thing I want to do as we go through this is tell you the three questions that we should answer today. If you read the Bible like I do, the first question is, what is pure in heart? What does that even mean? What does that make, how does that make sense to us? The second would be, what is it to see God? I don't know, when they say see God, that means I want to see God. How does that work? And then the last kind of the easy one is how do they bring together? And that will come naturally. And we'll talk about that briefly at the end before we do communion. Today we're going to do communion, get our hearts right so that we can actually partake in communion. So at the end of the message, we're going to ask you to come up and serve yourself and remember what God did in your heart. So the first question is, what is pure in heart? Do you realize how interested God is in your heart? Do you realize how much he wants you to understand, I know you and I want to work on each and every one of your hearts. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years, he still wants to work on your heart. It's never too late or never too early for God to work. There's many verses, and today we're going to hear some standard verses that you have heard over time, if you've been a Christian, about the heart. But that doesn't mean that you should kind of wash that over. There's a reason why God is bringing it to the forefront today. So hopefully you'll allow him to do a little bit of heart work or stint work or something to reconnect your heart and mind to God. Amen? Jesus communicates about the Father's heart, and he wants us to know how he wants us to react to this world and our heart, how it should react. In, in Matthew 23, you see Jesus communicate to us, and it's the woe to's. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Camarillo, Ventura, Oxnard. Woe to you, Newberry Park. And he starts communicating what's the issue. And here is the verse that he says that we've heard many times in church, but hopefully you'll open up your heart to hear it for the first time. It says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Today, Christians are becoming Pharisees. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, blind Christians. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the, all, the outside will also be clean. He's saying to the church, Jeff, woe to you, a leader of a church in Ventura County. 
Focus on the inside of your life so that when you get up on Sunday or Wednesday or on Tuesday at a coffee shop that you're actually preaching from the heart of the Father and not focused on the outside. Listen, I'm a vain guy. I get my haircut from Willem every two weeks. That's sad. I iron my clothes. I don't let anybody else iron my stuff. Because I'm just like everybody else. Californians are vain, you silly, hypocritical fools, and I'm one of them. We're so worried about the outside. God doesn't care about that. He cares nothing about what you look on the outside. We, I, I'm just looking at myself. Right now I'm looking in a mirror. I'm not even looking at you. I care about the outside. But the Father says, I care about you so much, Jeff. Quit focusing on your outside. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Clean the inside. I want to give you an analogy. Has anybody ever seen Lake Casitas? You know, in 1958, I think I have a picture of it. In 1956 or 58, it was built. There was a dam, and it's a reservoir. Has anybody ever swam in Lake Casitas? You have? You weren't supposed to. Somebody called the reservoir police. Lake Casitas was built, and it's actually world-renowned for bass. I didn't know that. I just found that out last night. And Lake Casitas was built as a reservoir. Do you realize in California, all the rain that we have, we gathered and captured only 10% of all that water? And we have hundreds of reservoirs, but we only captured 10%. I was in Costa Rica in the rainy season. They captured nothing. Zero. And it's raining 40 inches. Mexico doesn't capture any of it. We captured 10%. They started building reservoirs back in the 40s and 50s. And, and the reservoirs are, are something. And here's why you don't swim in Lake Casitas, Dora. Let me tell you. That stuff comes to my house. And I don't know what you do in the pool, but I don't want it in my house. I want that to go, and I don't want it on my vegetables, and definitely not on my strawberries. And so this reservoir is like our heart. The reservoir has to be purified so that when it comes out into my faucet, that it's good and it's not Flint, Michigan water. I don't want that. I want the purest form of water to come. And so the heart is just like that. The Father says, you have this reservoir and I want that reservoir so that when it pumps out blood, when it pumps out life, that I want it to come to your hands and feed into your head and hopefully from your mouth, the Father's heart. And so I want to purify that. Let's talk about these two big words that are in, uh, in this text. The first word is katharos, which is this Greek word for clean or pure. And this is how God wants to clean and purify your reservoir or your heart. The first one is a physical definition is purify by fire. We purify, if you've ever been out and you, you, you've been camping before, the first thing you do is you boil water to purify it, to make sure that somebody didn't do something in your water, so you got to boil it off, right? The second thing is you, you, you purify metals. Heat brings some sort of purification. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it represents purification. So one aspect is by fire. And then the ethical or the, the personal stuff is free from corrupt desires, free from sin, free from every admixture or mixture of what is false. This is the personal stuff. 
And we need to be sincere and genuine. And the word that comes to mind when I think about this is undivided. This katharos word is really coming, I want undivided, purified water coming out of Lake Casitas into my house. God wants purified, undivided, uh, undivided uh, God's love coming out of everything that you do, out of your mouth, out of your heart, out of your mind and soul. He wants to have a purification process, undivided. Jesus, his brother James, talks about this, and he says you can see the idea of purity. He first says to us, come close to God, and God will come close to you. And then he brings us a level of application. And here's the application. You want to come close to God, and God will come close to you? Here he says, first of all, wash your hands. My mom worked in the hospital, and I'm so, I'm so neurotic. I wash my hands like 13 times a day. I got some medication I'm working on. Hopefully I'll work that out. But my hands are clean because she told me long ago, that's how stuff gets spread. So thanks, Mom. I'm uh, neurotic because of that. Um, it says, wash your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is what? Undivided or divided? Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. As much as you are a good Christian, and there's many of you out here that you're divided, you have so much of the world, what's coming out of you is not pure, genuine God. It's divided. And God says, all of you, 50-year Christians, five-week, five-day, five-minute Christians, I need you to get your reservoir purified so that you're undivided. There's nothing else mixed in. No false teaching. None of your opinions and attitudes. God doesn't care. Your opinions and attitudes mean nothing to God. What he wants is undivided, purified, heart-loving stuff coming out of you. You need to have this katharos mindset. This word of purity and genuine, undivided attention. This singular focus. The second word is cardia, which we understand is from heart because some of us need to do more cardio than others, so we get that out of there. You got cardiac, and this cardia, it's obviously the heart. It's the organ in the body, which is the center of the circulation of the blood. Hence, it's regarded as the seat of physical life. It's also denoted in the, in the Bible as the place of physical and spiritual life. And the Father says, yes, your heart is critical for you to live. You need a physical heart. But the spiritual side is probably even more important while you're on this earth. Be purified so that your heart is right, so that your reservoir is pumping correctly. God is interested in your heart. And he's looking at your little sheet and saying, have you written anything down yet? Because I know if you're like me, you're struggling. I was on a mission trip this week and there was a moment where I confessed a struggle that I was having. That it's been going on since February. And tonight at 5 or 6 o'clock, I'm going to work on what I committed to a bunch of people. We have stuff on where my heart is and where my heart needs to be. And you should be writing that down so that when you walk out of here, you actually have done something for God and for yourself so that your reservoir is more purified. What is the definition of purity of heart? There's a guy named Soren Kierkegaard who wrote a book many years ago. I think I got his picture up there. And his definition was uh, of purity of heart was the title of his book. 
Look at the title of his book, and it's really a great definition. It says, the purity of heart is to will one thing. Now, if that was your definition of, of purity of heart, that's a good idea, depending on what your one thing is. My daughter's one thing is to move to Mexico and marry Jesse. It's not going to happen. Because that's not the one thing that we're to will on. What we are to will on in the Father's heart. And what he wants and what, when we focus on Jesus and God and that's the one thing, everything else that comes out of us should be an offering to this world from the Father's heart. Soren Kierkegaard has this, and if you want to read this book, it's, it's really saying, I'm going to focus on the glory of God, and because of that, my life will be an outpouring of the glory of God. That's what the book is about. It's a great read. It's a, it's a good book, and if you're interested in learning more about it, you should open it up. The heart is what you really are. Your heart is what you really are. It's your thoughts and it's your true feelings that you keep secretly. It's this private little place. Who you are by yourself with your own heart, that's who you really are. And that's where Jesus wants to meet you. Nobody knows what's inside your heart but God. And Jesus came into the world as an offering to the world to work on that private little place. So that when you clean the inside of the dish or the inside of your soul, the inside of your heart, that your outside will ultimately be purified and be a righteous offering to God. We all know another verse that we've heard, 1 Samuel 16, talks about people worry about the outward appearance. Jeff Rodriguez worries about the outward appearance and how good that Hawaiian shirt looks on four or five of you out there. It looks good today. But God doesn't care about your Hawaiian shirt or your tennis shoes or your hairdo. He cares about your heart. The Bible tells us long ago when David was being chose, I want to know your heart. Because that's the place that nobody can see. That's the invisible part of you. What you are inside or the invisible part of you matters more than the outside and the visible image people can see. That's what God wants you to understand. And I could say it for six months and nobody would get it if they're, if they're, if they're pushing it back. I don't want to give up that little place in my heart. I like that little thing that I do. That doesn't mean God wants that for you. That's your own pride pushing, pushing you out of the will of God. What's, the, what's inside and what's invisible is more important than the visible. That's the important part. Now the second part we're going to get to is what is it to see God. But before we get there, David writes a really cool definition. Probably something that Jesus was communicating on this beatitude here. Blessed are those who are pure in heart for they will see God. If we go to Psalm 24, David writes this. Who is going to see God? Here's what it says. Psalm 24. Let me get my Bible out and see if we can read it from the word this time. It says, who is allowed to ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may go up to his holy place? Who is willing and who's the one? Here's the application. Those whose deeds are blameless, those whose motives are pure, those who don't lie or who don't lie or make promises with no intention of keeping them. Such godly people are rewarded by the Lord and vindicated by God who delivers them. That is really the definition here. Psalm 24, who's going to be the one that ascends to that mountain of seeing God? Who's going to go into that holy place? Is it you? 
Well, what's your motive? What kind of conversations are you having? Are you keeping your promises? Several years ago, about eight or nine years ago, I have my friend Richard. He's not here today. But Richard challenged me. He says, Jeff, man, you're such a good guy. But your yeses and nos never equal what you're really saying. I got in trouble at my old church because I was, I was telling people, yeah, I'll be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever it was. And every time I was triple booked because I didn't learn how to say no. And I said yes to everybody. And I said, I'll call, I'll do, I'll do. And everybody was so upset. And they're like, you're such a good guy, but you never commit and make it to where you're supposed to be. That's what we're trying to do here. Those that have the pure motives and, and, and want to do the right thing, that have good intentions, those are the ones that are going to be rewarded and vindicated and ultimately see God. What is it to see God? Now listen, during a message week, which I get to do a lot of messages by the grace of God, during a message week, I, I, I kind of pray about something to talk about on Monday or Tuesday, and I just ask God, what do you want to speak? I don't have a curriculum. I don't have any plan I could pretty much do whatever God wants me to do or whatever I want to do I guess and so this a couple weeks ago when I found out I was going to be teaching today I uh, I started praying and this verse came up now I start reading uh, commentaries and look at other messages and listen to sermons because it really doesn't have to be about what I know I want to know what other people know so I come up with an idea and I come up with a thing and then after I got my idea of what I want then I go back and see now what is that the theologians say about it, if make sure I'm on track, right? Well, listen, my sister gave me a book about the Beatitudes. I looked at four or five commentaries, and let me tell you something. Not one of them talked about how to see God. None of them. I even last night, I was always working on the message. I'm like, I got to look at the Baker one. I got to see if they talk about it. None of them talk about how to see God. You know all they're worried about? The pure heart, because the Father's worried about it. But listen, the second part of this verse is just as important. If you're here today and you don't see God in your life, there's a problem. And it's probably a problem with your heart. You have to find a way for you to see God. But even the theologians don't know how to do it because the truth is, they're like, well, I'm sure if your heart's pure at some point, God's going to show up. But nobody talked about it. But listen, I believe that God shows himself in this world. I was in Mexico and I saw him 10 times. So what is it to see God? First of all, and I put these in your notes because I thought they were so important. You want to be pure in heart? We all understand our hearts are corrupt. But if you want to see God, you're going to work on your heart and you're going to write some stuff down on, the wrong, on your side and move them to the right side and watch your heart move and you see God for who he truly is. What is it to see God? First of all, you need to be admitted into his presence. Well, what does that mean? Anybody ever tried to go see the doctor, just walk in? Oh, it's 10 o'clock on a Monday. I'm going to go walk into my doctor's office. If you, if you have, let me know because I want to know that doctor's number. No, you got to call. And if you're like me, I got Kaiser in you know, that recording. I'm about ready to throw my phone every time. Just give me the doctor. And then you're like, oh, hi. I was just trying to get into the doctor. <laughs> What a good Christian man I am, huh? And you call and you go, can I see Dr. Lundgren today? And when you say, can I see Dr. Lundgren, you're not looking for a YouTube post 
Or you're not looking for something on the web or his Facebook or what he tweeted last night. No, I physically want to go in and be admitted to see him so I can tell him what's going on. I've got this going on. My head's got all kinds of things going on. You need to fix it. I want to go in and I want to be face-to-face with the doctor so that we can have a conversation of what I can do to get right. That's what happens in our relationship with God. We need to be admitted. All of us are invited to see God and, and to hear God and seek, but we need to be admitted. Well, who admits us? Anybody? Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus comes in and he's talking about, hey, I'm the one managing the sheep. The thief come in and there's thieves in this place that are trying to take the sheep out. But listen, he says in John 10, 9, he says, I am the door or I am the gate, some of your translations say. If anyone enters through me, number one, hallelujah, you're saved. Number two, you get to go in and out of this place of seeing God and in, in, in this place of, of rest, this, this pasture. When you go through the gate and go through the good shepherd, he enters you into a place and now you're admitted to see the great theologian or the great doctor of all time. And he wants to see you face to face and you sit before Jesus at the foot of the cross and you say, God, my heart is so, struck, uh, my heart is so uh, focused on unforgiveness and other people and my boss and my wife or my husband or this guy that's trying to marry me in Mexico. My heart is right there. But you're admitted because Jesus allows you to come in. He is the gate, he says. What does that mean? He is the door. Through him you are admitted. If you want to see God, you'll go into the gate. And then it's kind of interesting because it says you can go in and out. I don't see God as much as I want to. But he allows me to go in and walk away from that. And that pastor's thing reminds me of uh, Psalm 23. He says, well, he will restore my soul. And when I'm restored, he's going to lie me down these green pastures in a place where there's water and there's food. And, and, and in that, I will really see God taking care of me. So the first thing is, he admits you're admitted into his presence. All of us are invited, but the people that are admitted are the ones that call on the Lord. And ask him, can I get him an entrance to see your father? And see the father's heart and see him for who he truly is. The second part is to be awestruck by his glory and holiness. Well, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Awestruck by his glory and holiness. It's a direct experience of his holiness where you see God and you go, that can only be God. He can be the only one that orchestrate, can orchestrate something like that. You look at the book of Job. You know, I was in Mexico and uh, there's a couple down there. And they uh, married about three years, have a two-year-old. And uh, they had a son named David Job, and six weeks old, he died. And it was hard. One of my missions to go down there was to minister to that couple. And I've known him since he was 12 years old. And Job had that same experience. He lost all his kids. But here's what happens. The book of Job is extremely long. But there's a couple of great moments in Job. Job, after all of his friends are whining and complaining, and Job kind of comes to this place where I'm never going to curse you, God, but he's a complainer. He's a complainer. Hey, we got any complainers in here? 
There's a couple over here that aren't raising their hand over there. There's one right there. Job's a complainer, and, and, and he's sitting here complaining to God. And then at the moment in Job 38, God's like, enough, dude. I can't take it. It's time for you to shut up. And it says that in a whirlwind, uh, God speaks, right? And here's just a couple of things. The Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. And it says, who is this who questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? This isn't up there yet. Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you. Then you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Cricket? Cricket? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions? There's a bunch of good carpenters here. You guys know the dimensions of the world? Google Map doesn't know the actual dimensions of what really the world is. Who determines its dimensions? Who stretched out its surveying line? Who supports its foundations? Who laid the cornerstone? Jesus. Then it goes down. Where's the path to the source of light? Where's the home of the east winds? Who created the channel of the torrent rains? Who laid out the path for lightning? Job is having an encounter with God and it continues. And it talks about this dinosaurs of sorts in the next chapter. And at the end, Job's like, oh, sorry, I stepped in a place I shouldn't step. And at the end, this is what's up there. Job 42, I'd only heard be about you before. I've come to church many times, and I've heard about a God like you, but now I've seen you. Now, it wasn't in a physical scene. It was in a whirlwind. So we don't physically see God. We see him in other ways. It was in a whirlwind. And then he says this, I take back everything I said. I'm going to go sit in the dust and ash, and I'm going to show you my repentance. Sorry, God. We all have questions, but you don't have to have a perfect answer. And it's not going to get your heart right by you continually questioning everything in the world. God's going to tell you the same answer. Why are you so worried about what I know and want for you instead of you just fixing yourself? When we were in Mexico, I truly saw God several times. It was unbelievable. I'm going to try and hold it together. We did a lot of ministry work. A bunch of people came to the Lord. And one of the specific stories was we were walking down the street and we were praying for people. And we were going house to house. Uncomfortable. It's not for me. I don't speak the language. So I didn't really care. So I'm like, let's go here. (laughs) Going house to house. And we knocked on this one door. And we were inviting this guy to come to an evangelistic event we were doing on Thursday night. And we were inviting the kids to a soccer tournament. All of them had the elements of Jesus in every aspect of them. We went and we knocked and we gave this guy a little note through the door. And it was all caged off. You couldn't see it. And they don't live. They had dirt floors in the house. And as, they, as we were walking out saying goodbye, hope to see you, a girl comes out of their, their, their little shanty. And she's got no hair on. And she's got a mask. And we've taken like 10 steps away from this. And... One of my daughters goes, Dad, we need to go back and pray for that girl. And she starts crying. And I'm like, yeah, then let's do it. And we told our interpreters, let's go back. And they're like, okay, let's go back. And so we go back and knock back on the door again. And we go back and we're like, my daughter's weeping, going, we're supposed to pray for your daughter. And he tells us a couple days later, he goes, I wanted you to pray, but we were too embarrassed to ask. 
And that day when we went and prayed for him, he goes, we're getting ready to go to Tijuana for her first chemo. And so the point of the story is this girl named Anna Carta, I'm not going to put a picture up because my daughter said it would embarrass her because she doesn't have hair. But we saw God. At the end of our trip, as we were leaving Mexico, and we were supposed to leave at noon, and it's now 3.30, trying to get back, we decide, my girls say, Dad, let's go back. And all my girls are like, let's go back to this girl's house, and let's meet them and invite them to Christmas and bring them presents and put them on the prayer chain at Journey so that we can pray, right? And so we thought we'd already experienced God up on the mountain there that we went to, and we go back. And we start talking to her, and the girl comes out, and we start praying, and we're saying, hey, we're coming back in five months. We want to bring you gifts, and we're going to put you on the prayer chain. And my sister's telling her, I'm a pastor, and we want to make, make you part of our family. And, uh, and, and in essence, here's what happened. This guy started talking about Jesus to him, and he's like, yeah, I've heard of him, but I've never really seen him. And, and, and my sister goes, he's here right now. And he's offering you salvation. And this guy accepted the Lord. And he comes back and he goes, a couple days ago, some guy gave me this holy Bible. And he goes, now I have a reason to use it. And his daughter had been reading it for two days. And Kim goes, I want you to start with John. And the daughter's like, I've been reading John for the last two days. That's God. When you're awestruck and you're in God's glory, you can see God. That is how God works and moves. There's nobody else that can orchestrate that. Definitely not me. I'm too unorganized and dyslexic. But God can. And that moment was powerful. When we are awestruck, God can work. Here's the third part. Overwhelmed by his comfort and grace. Have you ever been overwhelmed by God? Jeremy sings this song, I'm overwhelmed with you or by you. When we are overwhelmed by God, that is God in itself. That is how God works because he comes over you like an ocean wave toppling and turning and all of a sudden you're in his grace. And you're feeling it and you know that this is God because you're in a place where you're in despair, where you've lost a kid of six weeks old. And you've got Job-like questions. And there's no good answer except trust God's plan. Humanly speaking, that's a crappy plan. Godly speaking, I'm sure it's a perfect plan. To be overwhelmed by God's grace, Psalm 94 says, I say my foot is slipping and your faithful love supports me, Lord. When I'm filled with your cares and comforted with your joys, you are there. I want to tell you one more story about Mexico. When we were in Mexico, uh, there was about 27 of us, and there was three men that gave their testimonies this week. Mark Wood is a good friend of mine, uh, my buddy Dom Deacon, and my brother-in-law, Edmund, who will be here second service, I hope. These two men told stories. Don's wife's about ready to pass of cancer. It's our fourth bout, and he's knowing that it's coming. Any moment now. The next six months or a year, it's happening for sure. And he tells us this story, but my brother-in-law tells this story about a cherry pie when he was 15. 
and him and his father 25 years later making amends. And as he's passing away, accepting the Lord and bringing forgiveness into it. The story was so powerful that everybody in the room was weeping and crying. And everybody knew that that was the grace of God. That it took 25 years for that to all manifest. But that's how God works. And the problem is, is we're so anxious and so annoyed because it's not my timing. But God has a plan. When you're overwhelmed by his glory and grace, you see him and you realize that is God. When you're in the midst of a trial, which you're at the end of your line and there's no place to turn, that's God. He's holding you, he's ministering to you, he's comforting you, and he's caring for you. God brings comfort, he brings joy, and in that joy, it says there's pain in the nights, we sang, but there's joy in the morning. How do we bind these things together? Jesus says that the pure in heart will see Jesus. How do we bind these things together? How are they bound? The pure in heart sees Jesus. That is the prerequisite. Did you get that? Purity says to see Jesus. The pure in heart sees Jesus. And that's what God wants. It's a prerequisite. Are you there? If you're not seeing God in your life, I challenge you to get out. We're going to Nepal. We need to pray for Custance Cameron. He got in a motorcycle accident this morning in Nepal. We don't know how he is. But you want to get out? Let's go. Go to Mexico. Go to Israel. We're going to go to Honduras. We're starting a new Peruvian mission uh, base where we're going to give out uh, chocolate plants to the locals. Get out of your comfort zone. Go to the Gabriel's house. Go to the rescue mission. Go across the street and minister to some of the people in that beautiful home over there. Get outside and let the pure of heart see God. Because he shows himself in many different ways. Here's what Titus tells us about who God is and how Jesus comes into our life. He, Jesus, gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us and to make us his very own people. And when we are cleansed and whole and we see God, then we go out and Titus says, and then we do good deeds. We see good deeds and we are committed to do good deeds. The pure in heart, they get nada. That's nothing. Those that are working on their heart and moving from one side to the, from the left side to the right side, those are the ones that are going to start seeing God work in their life. Because the heart is important. It's critical to God's plan for you. Not for the world, for you. The heart is critical. It's this deep inter, uh, interpersonal place that's closed off to the world. Only God knows it and he wants to work on it. Jesus didn't come into the world to stop a bunch of us with all of our bad habits from stopping doing those. Don't do those bad habits anymore. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came into the world because we have dirty hearts. We have dirty reservoirs that need to be purified. And it's by fire, it's by trial, it's by tribulation, but it's also by learning to step, step away from this undivided issues. If you continue to question God for whatever he's doing, you're never going to be solely, completely filled with God's glory. Jesus came to purify our hearts, so move closer to him. I love this psalm. 
I love this psalm. David's writing and he says, Lord, when, I hear, when you hear my voice, when I call out to you, be gracious. And don't turn your head this time. I really want to see you again. I, I want to be admitted to the great physician. And then the reply is, my heart says to you about this. You say, seek my face, Lord. I'm going to say, I'll seek your face, Lord, if that's the answer. Psalm 27 says, you say, Lord, seek my face. My response should be, I'm going to seek your face. And many times we don't do that. God says, seek me. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go to church or I'll go to a Bible study. But you don't seek. You expect somebody else to do it. The aim of Jesus is not to reform society and its manners. That's what we want. Society needs a change. The aim of Jesus is to transform our hearts, sinners' hearts, into godly hearts. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you have challenged many people in this room to write some stuff down about where they're at. So that when they come up and take communion, their hearts are moving in the right direction. Lord, I pray that you will take our reservoirs of hearts right here today. And that you will start the purifying process. That you will allow us to see you for who you truly are. Because we are starting the purification process. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you and needs a new heart, we invite them through a prayer of salvation. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe from your heart, you will be saved. That's you today. Repeat after me. Father, forgive me for I am a sinner. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Purify me of all unrighteousness. I believe that you died and rose again, as the Bible says. And I ask the Holy Spirit to come over me right now. Fill me with your glory, Lord. Purify my heart so that I can promote that into this world, your unveiling love. In your name we pray. Amen. At this moment, we're going to take communion. When you've made a shift from one thing on your column to the next, it doesn't have to be written. Come up and do communion. Get right with God. He broke his body and his blood transforms us. Come up and partake in communion.